Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of M365 Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo. I'm Sarah Hazi. And I am Mike Madarani. And today we're honored to have another special guest with us. We have Matt Sosman, uh, who is a senior security architect at Microsoft. Uh, welcome to our podcast, Mike. Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Good. Uh, it's really good to have you here. Um, for those that don't know, uh, Matt has a phenomenal YouTube channel with some great uh, uh, YouTube videos uh, related very specifically about security across the Microsoft stack and some of them about how Microsoft tools provide security in other cloud platforms as well. Um, so Matt, I've relied on many of your videos to learn about some of the security tooling at M365. Um, wonder if we maybe we could start off with you telling us a little bit about what you do at Microsoft. Yeah, sure. So I'm a uh, senior security architect. Uh, I work in our partner organization called One Commercial Partner. And uh, you know, arguably, it's probably the best job in the world. So I get to work with our partners to help them build security solutions. So I sit on a team of architects that have different disciplines. I focus on security. I cover the, the broad spectrum of Microsoft security products. And I help our partners go out there and take those products and you know build solutions, build services on top of them, and help their cu customers and clients be successful. So it's probably the, the high level of what I do, and uh, I love it. That's great. Um, so very much a world that I live in, and that speaks very much to me. Um, I think we talked a little bit about how we do this. We kind of go around Robin and ask questions and just try to learn as much from you as we can and share as much info as we can. So. Um, Sarah or Mike, do you guys have any questions? Um, so we, most of us uh, get involved all the time with clients uh, that they are either have started the onboarding M365 or uh, they're in, uh, adopting the cloud. And the question we always get is, what are the first steps that any organization should take to secure their tenant? What are the minimal things that you must do and the other configurations that it's good to have when you're securing your M365 tenant? That's a great question. That's a great question. Okay, so um, if we take a step back for a moment and we, we kind of look at security, cybersecurity, uh, a couple of things I always think about. Number one, um, you can't secure everything. So I, I kind of have to have to trust myself in that I, I can't secure everything. It's going to be impossible. It's like playing whack-a-mole you know, game as a kid at the carnival. You're, you're not going to be able to hit all the moles with the hammer. It's just not going to happen. So the second thing after I get past that is I think about um, these threats are always evolving, which means whatever I do right now, I'm going to either have to redo later or I'm going to have to go do something else later because it's only going to protect me for a period of time because these threats are evolving. So once I think about that, then I think about, okay, what tools exist in Microsoft 365? So if I have a, a brand new Microsoft 365 tenant, what tools exist to help get that secured? The, the go-to tool I always start with is SecureScore. So just security.microsoft.com. I log in with my administrator credentials. And then SecureScore will take me through uh, a scan of my tenant. And it will look at where my security posture is, where my risk is, and give me recommendations on how to uh, how to minimize that. So it'll give me recommendations on, hey, you might want to enable these different features that I already own, I'm just not using yet. So I you know, enable these, maybe go make some adjustments over here, change some configuration. And it gives me almost like a credit score. It gives me a number and it tells me, you know, here's how 
I don't want to say how secure you are, but it's, it's something along those lines. Forget the number though. It's just, am I taking advantage of the recommendations and am I taking advantage of what's built into the tenant to turn on and enable? That's probably the best starting point. And so secure score is part of Microsoft 365. But if you're using Azure, there's also an Azure secure score as well. And that's part of Azure Security Center and that's at no charge. So that's probably my, my go-to spot that I immediately start with. Um, and just real quick, the, the thing I follow that up with is I uh, look up the Microsoft security best practices. So mm -hmm. in fact, I got my laptop in front of me here. Let me just make sure I got the URL right. I think it's aka.ms slash um, security best practices. Let me just make sure that's it. Yep, that's it. <clears throat> so I, I like to follow those best practices and almost do kind of an audit where I go through that as my checklist. Say, okay, are we doing this on the tenant? And then start creating a roadmap and a plan. So that's that's how I think about the approach to get started. And then from there, just let everything grow. Okay, I have a question. Sure. Um, so I work a lot with large organizations and talking with large companies, and they love this idea of a, of a secure score or anything that can be metriced, right? Because they always think to themselves, this is great, we're going to measure how we're doing, and then we're going to want to analyze the improvement over time. And I see companies that I feel like go down a path that they shouldn't because you said, look at the secure score, toss out the number, focus on opportunities that you may be missing. I see a lot of, uh, let's say, leadership where they say, let's increment the score by 50 in this calendar year or 100. Do you see companies taking that secure score and the number too seriously from a metricing perspective and getting distracted from what the goal is in looking at those best practices? Yeah, I, 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 I see it. I mean, it happens. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a natural thing, right? You're, you're an executive, you're a leader. Uh, of course, you want to get the highest score. Um, the other thing I always have to remind myself, so I mentioned those two things. Probably the third one is, you know, I can't be 100% secure. It's never going to happen. And so um, if, I, if I get to that top score in secure score, it's probably doable, but it, the product may be unusable at that point, yeah. and it may not even help you meet any business objectives. So, so that's where you know I, I typically would bring in a consultant or, or some kind of an expert to help coach me and educate me on on what I just talked about, and think through what's the roadmap and the journey look like. And yeah, that that score is important. Let's measure progress, but let's not set a target of let's get to a thousand, you know, or whatever the the target number is. Let's get a set of target of here's the recommendations that Microsoft has, and let's how many of those can we can we accomplish? What's the, you know, what's the um, the low hanging fruit that we could do right now, and then what's the the weight of those, and how do those impact the score? So that's kind of other way to look at it too. With secure score is if you take one of the recommendations, it's going to have a weight assigned to it. How much will that influence the score? If it's mm -hmm. a lot, then you're probably going to be asking questions around. Well, if it's a lot, then is that going to you know, cause downtime? Is that going to cause end user training and adoption change management headaches? Is there a lot more to invest in and think about there than versus when it has a lower weight where maybe it's just a quick, you know, back end change that nobody sees? So there's a lot to it. Um, but that gamification or that credit score thing with it, I mean, it's an important thing to consider, but I, I kind of coach on, you know, almost, you know, cover it up and just think about the recommendations. Yeah. Because um, you, if you do everything, it's going to be unusable, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point that you both raised that the 
more security controls you put in place, the um, more difficult it is going to be to use the platform. Right. And I think Secure Score even says that somewhere in that, uh, at least in the older one where you had the slider, um, I think it actually told you that um, where you could go from, uh, I can't remember what the far left was, but you went from a balanced approach to a strict approach. Right. Um, and the stricter you get, the higher the score, but the harder it is to get anything done in the platform. And it's really important, and, and Matt, you talked about this, that you like talking to people about best practices because you need to determine the risk tolerance level of the organization, the goal from a usability versus security perspective, and what the business objectives are, those should drive. Um, and you definitely want to make sure that you're being security minded, um, but you need to keep it in context of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Now, those best practices and that website I mentioned, um, it's really good and they go very in depth, uh, but that's where you almost wanna, you wanna just create a journey map or a roadmap or some kind of a plan of action to say, okay, here's the stuff we're gonna adopt right away. Here's what we're gonna do maybe later on once we're mature enough and ready to. And then maybe here's the stuff that it's pie in the sky. Maybe someday we'll get to it, but we're gonna deprioritize that. You just need to kind of, I mean, everybody's business is different. So you just need to think through what's right for you and then you know start going down that path. Um, don't wait. That's the worst thing to do. Uh, the best thing to do is just take action now, because um, it, you know, it's not a matter of if but when, right? As we all know. But um, you know, just one other thing I'll mention around usability, because uh, you kind of you kind of struck a chord with me here, because this is something I I've been thinking about a lot over the last uh, probably ten years I've been at Microsoft. You know, the interesting thing with Microsoft security is that it's built in not bolted on. So when you think about teams, the security controls, the compliance controls, the governance controls, they're built into the product, just a matter of are you going to enable it or not. Um, and what's interesting about it is sometimes the end user doesn't even know that it's there. And so it can be transparent. Uh, so when you think about something like data loss prevention and teams, there's no agent running, there's nothing that gets in the way of the user until they do something that's bad, like you know, put a credit card number in a chat then it tells them, okay, yeah, you shouldn't have done this. We're not going to send it. So there is a sense of this built-in aspect. And when you start going down that road and you start thinking about it, especially during the pandemic here with remote work, when you start going down that road, it can enable you to be more productive. And that's interesting when you, when you really start to peel back that onion because you don't normally hear that in the security industry. Security and productivity in the same sense, that just doesn't happen. And I think with Microsoft and what you're starting to see here is it, it can happen if you design it right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I've actually been very impressed by many of the product teams when it comes to implementing the security controls and capabilities where yeah. they always keep productivity in mind and trying as much as possible not to get in the way of productivity of the user. Yep. Um, and I like the fact that you started with secure score because I remember um, in the early days of Secure Score, like just to highlight a couple of its capabilities, the I try not to harp on the number too much. The recommendations are the useful part to me. And the really cool part of the recommendations was if you want to go implement it, it takes you to the actual configuration pane where you do it right away. Right. It's not a matter of, okay, let me go and read 10 pages of documentation to figure out how I do this. It actually takes you to the spot. Or if it's a PowerShell script you've got to run. Sometimes it actually takes you to a GitHub repo that has the PowerShell ready for you to download from Microsoft, 
which is that that whole interaction of taking you to the place where you actually do this thing, I thought was really interesting because it lets you action it like, you know, sooner than than later. Yeah, you know, that when you think about how Secure Score came about, uh, there's a very long history here and there's many reasons why it exists. But one of the interesting things I think about with it is it's at one place to show you where to go. So if you want to enable, I'm making this up, if you want to enable data loss prevention in Microsoft 365, uh, yeah, you'd go to compliance.microsoft.com, you create a policy, yada, yada. Or you can just go to Secure Score and see it as a recommendation, click on it, it'll have a button. You click on the button, it takes you directly to that portal, to that screen where you can start going through the wizard. And so it, it just makes it a lot easier to access all the different controls across the tenant. Um, and it, for lack of better words, an easy button. Um, but it's, it's discoverable too, right? And so like what a lot of customers have told me over the years and my partners I've worked with over the years is it allows me to learn a little bit more about Microsoft 365 and even back in the day with Office 365 that maybe I didn't know. And so when I see one of those recommendations, like I didn't know it could yeah. do this. And yeah. now they're asking questions of maybe their partner or their MSP or maybe their own IT department. And now they're exploring. And I mean, that's what we want to have happen. I, you know, if you look at security, the whole reason why security exists is so we can be more productive and move the business forward. I mean, that's required. And so it's great to see people out there, you know, doing that and discovering these tools and trying the new things. Anyway, sorry, I'm talking here off here. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. So I'm going to steal your question, Sarah, if I could. Matt, I want to ask you about out of all the vast security capabilities that M365 and Azure and Microsoft Cloud has, which tool is your favorite? Which tool is my favorite? Gosh, you know, there's so many. Um, I have many favorites, but the one I keep going back to is Microsoft Cloud App Security or MCAS, as we call it. That's Microsoft's CASB or Cloud Access Security Broker. It's my favorite tool because it's a Swiss Army knife yeah. of capability. I, I joke around a lot, but in all seriousness, come to me with a business problem. I could probably fix it with cloud app security. It's it's that powerful. Yeah. And just to let everyone know, I was just joined by my dog here. So I hear noise in the background. So while you're distracted by your dog, I'm gonna jump in here. Go for it. Uh, so with 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 being remote and going into into uh, the cloud and connectivity and uh, collaborating internally and externally, now, a lot of clients want to share information with external guests, and we can do that from from Teams, Shape, OneDrive. But they're always the concern: where do I and how do I stop them from leaking that information? How can I protect? Uh, my document that I'm sending or I'm sharing, not even actually emailing, I'm sharing from SharePoint or OneDrive with someone external to my organization. And how can I manage that? Uh, I don't want that person to, I know we can block download, but they can basically copy and paste things. Uh, there are some security measures that we can do. Can you talk to us about that a bit? Yeah, yeah. So, so Matt's approach, the way I look at this, uh, I always take a step back and I, I ask myself two questions. What am I trying to do? And I want to be really clear about what I'm trying to do. And the most important question of all, why am I trying to do it? What's the business justification? What's the, the reason? And, and what kind of outcome is that going to drive for the business? Are we doing it just because we want to be secure? Or is there a real reason why we have to do it? I'll give you a great example. Uh, when the pandemic started and we sent everybody home, right? 
about this time last year, I had a partner of mine. I live you know, in San Diego. There's a partner of mine up in Los Angeles. Uh, their specialty is law firms. So they had a client of theirs. It was a law firm, uh, probably two, 300 employees. Well, they had a, a very uh, traditional culture that everybody went into the office. Literally nobody had laptops. Uh, no iPads, nothing like that. Everybody had desktops. And so you send everybody to work from home. What do you do? You take the desktop and you log at home. I, I mean, you know, who knows? So they told everybody to just go out and use your personal computer, use your iPad, use whatever you have available. Well, what's the problem with that? You start doing work on that. And now you have attorney-client privilege data on a personal device that's not managed. You have no control over that uh, data's gone forever. That's a huge other problem. Other people in the family are using the same machine. Yeah, right. You know, they accidentally upload something to Facebook. Who knows? So that's a business problem. And so the way we solved it for them, well, we, we did a few things. But one of the ways we solved it for them was, I'd mentioned MCAS. We deployed MCAS. And MCAS has some data loss prevention policies built in that said, okay, when you try to access Teams from a non-managed computer, you have to use the web browser. And when you go to use the web browser in Teams, if you try to open a document, that's fine. We'll let you open it. We'll let you read it. And as you know, Word is built into Teams. You can edit the, the Word document. But if you try to download it, we'll stop you in your tracks because you're on an unmanaged device. Now, for some of the devices in the environment, uh, they wanted to say, allow the download, but apply DLP. And so this is another best part about MCAS is there's another product called Microsoft Information Protection. And specifically, there's something called sensitivity labels. So as you downloaded that file, it would assign a sensitivity label to the file upon download, which means it's encrypted, it's labeled, it's got a watermark on it. So it's on that personal device, but it's encrypted. So if they try to share it or do anything else with it, it's unusable unless you know the stars align, you have the right identity and all those things. So that's a true business problem. That was an outcome and a solution along with other things we use to, to try to do to try to achieve that. But I always ask my question, you know, what, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do it? So going back to your question, how do how do what are some examples of how Microsoft does it? Well, I mentioned MCAS, that's certainly one example, and that's controlling web traffic inside of web browser to be able to apply DLP there. Um, but let's say I've got a uh, you know Windows 10 machine and it's managed by the organization and I wanna prevent somebody from copying data to a USB drive. Well, there's a product called Endpoint DLP. And Endpoint DLP is interesting. It's actually built into Windows 10. I just have to light up the functionality so it's agentless. And when I light up the functionality, it just it sits there, but it's aware of the data and it's aware of the context in the data. So if I try to take a file and copy it to a USB drive, I get a little toast notification that says, you know, hey, you can't do that. But what's also cool is what if I took that file and I opened up my personal Gmail and I try to send an email to you and I attach it? Well, endpoint DLP, because it's built into Windows and it's aware of all of this, it will see that that file is a, a work file for all intents and purposes. It'll see that there's sensitive data in it, and it will actually block the browser from letting you attach it to that Gmail email and sending it. So that's really cool. So there's cases like that. There's other things. I mentioned Teams before where we can stop you from putting a credit card number. There's so many different things I can do uh, around data loss prevention. But the, the, the trick, though, is what's the problem? Why is it a problem? What kind of outcome do I want to get out of it? Let that be my North Star and kind of put my blinders on. Solve that. Solve for that. And don't go overboard. 
because then it's gonna we're gonna go down that road of being unusable at that point. Um, hopefully that answers your question, uh, but I it's like pretty cool one. stuff. I like that one, and it's a segue into something that um, I want to go back to that you said very early on. But you actually said that when you're working with security, right, it's an ever-evolving beast, right? Yeah. So you're doing things today, you know you're going to have to relook at it again. For those organizations, um, some based on size or based on uh, uh, financials and staffing and resourcing may have people who are dedicated to do security all the time. Other companies are gonna set it up once and then they may not necessarily have people that are regularly looking at it again. What do you recommend that people think about in terms of that ongoing security governance model and the key pillars that they should be thinking about to keep it evergreen as opposed to set it up and forget it? Yeah. Well, threats move at cloud speed. And, and if you, you read the reports and you, you look at what's in the news, these cyber attacks, uh, they're being launched from cloud platforms. The artificial intelligence is being used against us, uh, automation, and it's happening so fast that they get in, they get out. Some cases, you don't even know what happened. And so you have to be able to to you know, defend against that. No human can defend against cloud speed like that in automation. Uh, by the time you, you pick up on the alert and you do your triage, it could be over. So you need to respond to the automation with automation. So that's the first thing I, I look at is, I need to have automation built in here. Now again, I can't fix everything. I can't secure everything. So now I need to prioritize, what are the type of threats that are gonna be common that I can defend against with automation. And we'll come back to automation here in a second, but that's kind of the first thing I think about. The second thing I think about is how do I surface the data to give me new insights? So I, again, I, I joke around a lot about this stuff, but in all seriousness, cybersecurity is, for me, it's less about security, it's more about the data. It's almost a data science problem because you have all this telemetry flying on you and all these signals from all these different products and solutions and endpoints and everything, if you can decipher that data and, and make sense of it and get insights out of it, man, you're, you're gonna get all sorts of new things you've never known before. Like, I'll give you a great example. If you have a dashboard that can show you, here's all the SaaS apps that are in use across the environment, whether they're personal SaaS apps, like a Dropbox account or something, or they're corporate owned, doesn't matter. But if you had a dashboard that showed you all of that, and then it showed you by user who's using the most, and if all of a sudden you see somebody's usage of that SaaS app go from, you know, uploading and downloading 500 megs a day to, you know, 10 gigabytes a day, well, that's not normal. And then the automation could kick in and say, Matt, you know, Mr. Admin, that is not normal. That's an anomaly. Make you want me to block it or not, right? You could do that. But that's getting new insights out of that data where you may not have seen that before if you just get a bunch of alerts coming in or if you're just looking at a log file because we're all human. We make mistakes. We're not as smart as machines. If we look at that, we may not be able to surface those insights. Whereas if I have that automation coming in, it could say, yeah, that download or that upload is totally anomalous compared to their normal behavior. So automation, big data. And then the third one I, I, I tend to think about here is best practices. Uh, you know, I, I can't stress that enough. Again, when you read the reports, <laughs> the root cause of a lot of the attacks out there, and I, I giggle a little bit because for me, it's such a, low-hanging fruit the root cause is typically bad identity practices yeah and it's you're not patching your stuff that's usually the two the two things that go wrong 
and maybe a little bit of social engineering there, but it's usually one of those three things. If you adhere to best practices, that can easily be mitigated. It's not going to be 100% preventable, never will be, but you could probably reduce your risk significantly. Yeah. Right. So, so how are you adopting best practices? And, and, you know, are, is the organization mature enough to do that? Do you need a managed service provider that could do it for you? You know, or do you have a big enough <laughs> IT department and headcount to be able to do, do that? How are you structured? Many different variables get there, but that's kind of yeah. how I think about it. I love the idea that you're talking about realistic expectations in terms of time investment, your company, your risk profile compared with um, where you hope to be. Yes. So I have a question to get a little more. I think this is going to go counter to what you say, and I ask it just because I want to I want to validate a little bit of what I think about what you just said. So if we get specific with cloud app security for a second, right? So myself as well i love cloud app security that thing is amazing what it can do but it's got a lot of capabilities built into it right so it's got um discovering what cloud apps people are using you can do that either on an automated basis or through a, a snapshot basis you can sanction and unsanctioned apps you can do behavioral based policies and automatic um, uh, remediation or actions based on uh, behavioral based activities you can build activity based policies you can do session based protection and policies as well. You can have conditional access offload the policy evaluation to MCAS for session-based situations. So a lot of functionality in there, right? And I have customers that approach us and say, all right, we want to use MCAS. Where should we start with MCAS? So my question for you is, I think I, I know kind of where you might go with this, but I want to hear what you say. Um, where do you begin with MCAS? So if a customer wants to get into working with MCAS, where do you start? Yeah, great question. And um, it kind of, again, it kind of depends. Um, you know, put on my consulting hat, I try to figure out what's your business priorities and, and let that dictate it. But from a fresh starting point, it's, it's usually a progression. Um, one of the capabilities is around shadow IT discovery. So going out and looking to see what apps are in the environment, cloud apps that are in the environment that people are using, and cataloging those, identifying who's using them, how they're being used, and then from there, creating a plan of action if you're going to support them, if you're going to block them, whatever you're going to do. And so that's usually the first path I go down with somebody is, let's go explore shadow IT. And there's so many different ways you could do that. You kind of mentioned, yeah, you could feed firewall logs into it. Um, you can uh, also upload uh, firewall logs automatically through a syslog server. But the best part about it is using Defender for Endpoint. And I say it's the best part because in today's new world, it's rare that you're behind the firewall. Yeah. Um, and even if you're using a VPN client, uh, it, it's still, you're not totally behind the firewall. So that's where Defender for Endpoint, it's, it's built into Windows and you can install it on, on a Mac and other operating systems, but that can go out and discover those cloud apps that are in use no matter where the client is, report it back to MCAS. And then if you choose to block it, you just push a button to block it and it blocks those apps, no matter where that user is. Um, but that allows you to kind of get an idea of how apps are in use in the environment. And then from there, I make a progression. I say, okay. And in fact, this happened to me a while back. We had a customer, um, we did a, a, an assessment where we went out and looked for various uh, cloud apps using MCAS. Yeah. We found uh, this customer, they're a large enterprise. We found about 10,000. Uh, SaaS apps in use in the environment, right around that number. 
And so from there, we spent about a month sifting through the data, trying to figure out, okay, which ones do we do they want to support? Which ones are risky? So on and so forth. Well, they came back with a very short list of ones that they want to support. And out of those ones that they wanted to support, half of them were supported by Microsoft, indicating that you can actually integrate them with MCAS. So take, for example, WebEx or Dropbox or G Suite or AWS. Well, now that's the next step. Let's integrate those apps with MCAS so we can apply governance controls and additional controls around those apps. So you you asked about DLP earlier. So that's where I can actually connect to those apps directly with MCAS, sift through all the data and say Dropbox, identify if there's any kind of sensitive data, PII, PHI, whatever it may be, and then encrypt that data in Dropbox or whatever the app may be. And then from there, apply controls. So if you go to download it, what happens? If you go to share it externally, what happens? And then from there, just kind of move down this line of, okay, so I found the apps, I integrated with the apps, I'm creating governance policy. Well, now from an operations perspective, let me start looking for anomalous behavior. So if if somebody tries to overshare data out of the app, boom, send me an alert. If somebody tries to do a mass mass download, the list kind of goes on and on. But I, I always recommend what do you have in the environment? What apps do you have? Let's find it. And then from there, let's light up some MCAS capability. That's typically my my progression. Although I've seen it other cases where we go directly to like create a policy or something. Yeah. Um, but that's often how I view it. And I always recommend to try the trial. There's a trial license of MCAS. Yeah. Where you could kick the tires on it and figure out if it's right for you. But um, I don't know. Hopefully that helps to paint a picture. That's how it, I look at it. It does. What I what I thought you were gonna say when I said I think what you're gonna say, what I thought you were gonna say was let the the business problem or the use case drive the usage as opposed to we want to use MCAS. But I, I do think customers come in from both perspectives. And I like what you were saying before about you know, let's let's pick a business problem and let's solve that one uh, and then move on to the next one. Because that's I typically have to, how I would approach it. Absolutely. Yeah. If I put my consulting hat, I would I would probably ask you, okay, what bro- what problems exist in the environment? Let's yeah. go after that. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, it all depends, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was one really interesting point you touched on with, um, you know, let's, you know, the company decides they do want to use Dropbox or something. So you can use cloud app security to proxy that traffic, to monitor it, to encrypt it in Dropbox, right? To me, that's one of the most significant features of MCAS because traditionally IT or IT security wants to, um, turn off services, um, say no to the business when they want to use a service that's not been sanctioned, right? Like IT security's traditional answer is no, that's not one of our sanctioned services. You know, business group, you're not allowed to use that. But with that feature of MCAS can proxy that traffic and actually implement the security controls in non-Microsoft cloud services, um, IT can IT security can say yes and can become enabler, an enabler of the business as opposed to a blocker of the business. And to me, that's one of the most significant things that that thing can do, which is amazing. You know, let me just share a very quick 20-second story on that. So a couple of years ago, we uh, we had an organization that was was breached. And um, I met with them, and they were breached because they were using a third-party cloud storage SaaS app. And the IT department had no idea that the sales department was using that app. And so... <laughs> um, they got breached because they were using a separate username and password. There was no controls on it. Now the sales organization, they were paying for that cloud storage app and they had the, you know, the enterprise license or whatever, but IT didn't know about it. There was no way for them to protect it. And so as we started getting into these conversations with them, we started talking about like, well, let's support it. And they're like, what do you mean? 
and let's use MCAS, let's integrate with it, let's apply these governance controls, get single sign-on, do all these other great protections so you can continue to use it. If you're not comfortable with moving to something else and you've got all these business processes and training and whatever else built around this, this app, keep using it. Yeah. Let's be the enabler. And that's a different conversation than we're used to is, is saying yes rather than saying no. And that's that shift that you know we're starting to see here is, you know, it used to be the business was dictating IT what they do. Now it's more of IT is going to dictate the business through technology to say, yeah, we could support that. In fact, we could do a little bit more beyond that to make you more productive or whatever. So yeah, it's it's really cool stuff when you start to think about it. I think it's also elevating. Um, I see more people that are on the business side that at least have some skeletal awareness of the fact that they ought to be thinking about where their data is residing. And I think that comes out of just the more stories that we hear about it, the more consumerization of tech, right? But it's one of the things that I point out to business users all the time. If I find out they're using a cloud service for this or that and they pay for it with a company credit card, have, have you taken a look at the security model? Because if you're taking company data and you're parking it anywhere on any software as a service or provider and you haven't considered what's happening with that data, that's a big challenge. Yeah, especially when you start considering compliance. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. the business is going to go out and do whatever they want to do. So if they're going to use that third-party cloud storage app because it's easier than whatever else they got, then that's what they're going to do. And they're going to pay for it themselves. But they may often mm -hmm. not consider... Where is that data center for the app? Is it another country that maybe changes the regulatory compliance requirements that you have? Um, yeah. How secure is it? You know, there's all these other questions that come up that makes you wonder, is that the right solution? And of course, the business doesn't know. And so that's where IT again becomes that enabler, but becomes that um, almost that coach in a sense of, hey, let's let's work with you here to find a solution. And it might be supporting what that app, but just bring it under the, the umbrella but so many different different things that you have to go into consideration. And that's where that shadow IT assessment I mentioned starts because now you, you know, an MCAS will go back and do a scan of the app and it'll tell you how secure it is, how compliant it is, what things mm -hmm. it supports, what it doesn't. And now, now it enables you to make a justification whether or not it's something you want to allow. So yeah, it's cool stuff. I like this idea of IT becoming a trusted partner um, yep. to help the business. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Okay, it's fine, all good. Uh, I'm going to put my consulting hat on, and sure. when we go and talk to clients, uh, yes, we're going to promote uh, MCAS, and we're going to see all the good, great things about it, but what if they're not licensed for it? What if they don't have the budget to start with MCAS from day one? What other alternatives do they have? Yeah. Close enough to MCAS. Yeah. So so there's, uh, there's Microsoft Cloud Up Security, of course, um, but again, I kind of go back to the what are you trying to do, why you're trying to do it. If we're not trying to protect third-party SaaS apps and we're not trying to uh, you know, do shadow IT discovery or anything like that, there are some capabilities in Azure Active Directory that allows me to do some, some miniature-like things with, that you could do in MCAS. So for example, in the Azure Active Directory licensing, I can go out and, and do a cloud app discovery. Now, it's not going to be as robust as full MCAS, but hey, it allows me to do some capability there. Uh, so that exists, and maybe I already own that 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 license. Um, there's also Office 365 Cloud App Security. It used to be called Advanced Security. That went through a uh, rebrand a number of years ago. 
that's going to offer some some similar capabilities to MCAS, but just for Office 365. <clears throat> so there are some alternatives, um, but that's where I, I again I think about what's the business justification. Oftentimes it comes back to compliance. Compliance often drives budget. Um, that's often the priority for the organization. How can we achieve our compliance requirements and stay compliant? And what what tools do I need to to help me on that journey? And that's where that justification for MCAS or anything else can can start to come into play. That's kind of my thought process and how I think about it, though. And Matt, I don't know if it's still there, but I think you used to be able to get an add-on license that was just MCAS. You didn't have to buy a full E5 oh, yeah. so, suite. Great point. I mean, if we're talking about licensing, yes, you could buy it all the cart, right? So um, if you're not quite ready for something like Microsoft 365 E5, or EMS E5, you can buy the standalone or a la carte license as well. Um, there's even a, a new uh, security E5 add-on that includes cloud app security and Defender for Endpoint and Defender for Identity, Defender for Office, Azure Directory Premium. So many different ways to acquire it. Um, the one thing I always step back though when I look at is think about the integration across the product suite. So MCAS has some amazing capability. It gets even better when you start thinking about its integration with Defender for Endpoint, which I mentioned, you know, can go out and discover apps and block it. It gets even better when it integrates with Microsoft Information Protection to encrypt that data in those other apps and go out there and, and classify and label it. It gets even better when it integrates with Azure Active Directory so that you can do conditional access and shut down somebody's access to an app. So there's all these different things that start to come out when you have, when you own those products and you start to, you know, do that one-click integration. So it kind of depends on where you're on the journey, but also don't forget about the trial license. I mean, if you just want to kick the tires on it and see if it's right for you, that trial license is always there as well. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Matt, I wanted to thank you for joining us today. This yeah. has been phenomenal to have you here. Uh, appreciate your time and your knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I just want to encourage our, our, our listeners, if you haven't uh, checked out Matt Sosman's videos on YouTube, please do check them out. They are really, really good, Matt. So thank you for doing those as well. Yeah, thanks for having thanks. me. This was a blast. Thank you so much. And I particularly enjoyed your video. Um, and I think it was a pretty recent one, but it's how to unlock your iPhone with your Apple Watch if you're wearing a face mask. It was it was it was clever and well done because that's a real world problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just had to do a video on that. I was I was pretty pretty excited when that came out because that's a. Yeah. I liked your half new breach one, by the way. Yeah, cool. yeah. So just a quick plug on my my YouTube channel. Um, there's a art, another architect at Microsoft, Richard Diver. Um, he is uh, he is a really good architect on Defender for IoT. So him and I are doing a little mini series on my channel about Defender for IoT. And so we published a video last Friday on it, kind of overview getting started. This Friday we're going to talk about how to install it and configure it. So if that's of interest, um, you know you can you can always check that out. But uh, you know, it's it's amazing. There's so much to talk about these products um, and you know, YouTube channels and blogs and everything. So I always encourage people just go out there and find, you know, find somebody, whether it's me or anybody else, and just subscribe to them and watch them because you'll you'll learn a lot. Yeah. yeah, and we'll provide a link to to those. And I was watching several, and I love the fact that not only do you take the time to put together slides, you'll provide a link for people to download it, right? You really try yeah. and you can tell package up these best practices in a way that will help people go and use them and even be able to leverage them to be able to help build solutions at their companies. So great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Very informative. Thank you. Yeah, thanks thank you. Again, Hi, thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us, everyone.
Bye. Bye.